Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this special episode of the podcast, due to listener request, but mostly out of our own desire to talk about it, we are going to discuss <laughs> the Lifetime TV movie titled Escaping the Nexium Cult, A Mother's Fight to Save Her Daughter. And we know what you're thinking. Why are they doing an episode on the Nexium Cult? Uh, well, after our Andrea Rojas character spotlight, we got a little bit of feedback wanting more Smallville-related uh, topics and discussions, and we thought we could justify a movie about Alice and Mag's real-life insanity starring Supergirl's Maxwell Lord. Uh, Allison's uh, Chloe Sullivan was confirmed to exist in the Arrowverse thanks to the Supergirl episode Midvale, as well as the upcoming Crisis on Infinite Earths, where Tom Welling and Erica Durant are going to appear. Uh, and mostly the two of us have been following this case for a while, so we kind of <laughs> just wanted to talk about it. We figured this would just be like an extension of the the messages that we send each other with like <laughs> weird articles. That, where it's like, I'm like, why am I reading this like five page Rolling Stone article about a sex call? And then I'm like, I must pass it on to Rebecca. She must know this too. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you for sending me this. This is all I'm going to do for the rest of the day is read this five page. Rolling Stone article. Uh, so we are going to talk about this, just discuss the movie and maybe our feelings on the case. I don't know. We're going to keep this real loosey-goosey and see how it goes. <laughs> uh, so this is a little bit, it's not too off topic because Peter Fascinelli is in the movie. Uh, so there, there is that connection. I there is a Supergirl tie. Like we can tie this. We can justify this. Yeah, I, I always, I always think we should have a Supergirl component to every episode that we do for Supergirl Radio. So that is our really thin tie <laughs> to, to this discussion. But I think we can make it work. Um, so if you have no idea, if you're coming into this episode and you have no idea what this Lifetime movie is about uh, and, and the case, the real-life case that it's based on... Oh, boy, are you in for, for something. Oh. I was going to say a treat, and then I was like, that's not true. No, it's... Uh, that's not true at all. <laughs> it's a very scary treat. Um, so here's the official description of the Lifetime TV movie. Uh, quote, a mother who will stop at nothing to get her daughter back exposes the intricate sed seductive power of Allison and Keith and the mental and physical abuse inflicted on her daughter, unquote. And that really, I, I think it I think it does a good job of describing the movie, but uh, the, the overall case is so much bigger than that. But we should say that the, the Lifetime movie is based on a book that Catherine Oxenberg, the real-life woman in this movie, uh, wrote about how she tried to get her daughter, India, out of this Nexium cult. So I've got a question right off the bat. Is this book available? Has this book come out? Uh, I was under the impression that it had. I don't know if it came out in connection with the movie. How did I not read this? We had, we That's should. That's a, a big question for me as a person. <laughs> Can we justify a review of the book? <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure we could. <laughs> Hold on, let's see. It okay? When is it? I'm googling. Yeah, I'm googling. I'm looking at it too. Captive: A Mother's Crusade to Save Her Daughter from a Terrifying Cult. Hardcover. It came out in August of 2018. How it did is we 2019, miss this? and I have somehow missed this book. 
I've never been so disappointed in myself. <laughs> like, oh my god! Well, we're we're gonna have to read this. Uh, I think. Oh my god! There's also, in case you anyone wants to take a real deep dive, uh, there Sarah Edmondson also wrote a book about Nexium. That's right. She's the one who, um, if you followed the story at all, uh, like I, like I did. Uh, she was the one who first sort of broke the story mainstream and uh, by being on the New York times with her like branding scar. Um, so she has a book called scarred the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life. It also on Amazon, it says true crime memoir, comma cult books. <laughs> <laughs> it's right up Morgan Glennon's alley. Now, we didn't miss this one by much, Rebecca, because this one was released on September 17th, 2019. Oh, so. okay. Good. So we haven't so missed... this is fairly recent. Yes. Okay, good. Um, Sarah Edmondson, and and we'll probably talk about this a little bit, because in the movie, they do actually show the branding ritual that goes down. Um, but Sarah Edmondson was the woman, I think, who basically... I mean, I think she broke the case wide open, because for a long time, and... In the in this lifetime movie, Catherine Oxenberg is shown uh, to have a real struggle with the FBI and getting authorities to look into this. But it, I don't think, from my impression, it's not until the Sarah Edmondson photo of the branding that things really started to pick up and they took it a little more seriously because they had physical evidence that things were happening. So uh, I I do think that Sarah Edmondson is is one of the um, really brave ladies in this story. Um, so I guess one way to get into this is since we have been interested in this case, uh, Morgan and me, uh, Morgan and I, uh, you and me, uh, we have been very... Us uh, both. <laughs> us both. We have been very uh, interested in this, uh, just trying to follow along because it it came a little bit of a surprise to me. And so I I think maybe we should um, talk about our history going into this movie because we, we had been following the case and then watching the movie is, is its own experience. So what, <laughs> what, what was your, what, what did you come into it with? So I think we were both pretty shocked when all that, the Nexium cult stuff broke. I had like maybe a couple of months before the Sarah Edmondson story came out, uh, a friend of mine had been like, um, mentioned something about Allison Mack being in this cult. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they were like, oh, you you know the cult though, right? And I was like, seriously, I have no idea. And so, I mean, uh, both Rebecca and I both used to be like pretty into Smallville back in the day. Chloe was my favorite character. Somehow it sort of uh, swooshed right over my head that uh, that Allison Mack was was in a cult. Uh, so then I had like was doing this Googling on like, well, oh my God, what is this Nexium thing? And I pulled up a blog who, that was like written by uh, like a disgruntled former employee that was like very, uh, I can't remember what it's called, something about like the Frank something or other yeah and he's he's in the movie he's in the movie yes yeah, like, i think it's a frank report and so it's very tabloidy it kind of feels like you're reading like a cele 
celebrity gossip. <laughs> but uh, but I went down what I would call a real deep rabbit hole. And it was like, I looked up and it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I was just like staring. It was like dark around me. And I was staring at a computer going like, what? <laughs> and so I had gone down the rabbit hole on this gold thing. So when it all blew up, I was like, I mean, Everything the Frank report said was true. <laughs> I like took off my tinfoil hat and I was like, it was real. But uh, <laughs> so I mean, my my main thing was shock. Like literally, I Rebecca and I have talked about this. Like I have pictures with Allison Mack. Like I went to one of her shows, her theater shows in New York. Uh, so I was like, well, this is. I gotta say, the first time I've been in the picture with some, in like a picture with somebody who's been in a cult before so that's something now yeah i actually had met allison mack when she came for dragon con and i can't remember what year uh, no i do know what year it was it was the year that man of steel came out because i cosplayed i, I did a really bad cosplay but i had a great hair dye job that year <laughs> uh, i matched uh amy adams's lois lane hair color nice as, as close as i could and then wore like the the flight suit she has on at the end of Man of Steel. That was my attempt at cosplaying as Amy Adams as Lois Lane. I don't know. I felt pretty good about it, but it's not great. Uh, but I remember getting my picture made with Allison Mack wearing that. So it must have been 2013. Um, <laughs> and I I had a good experience with her. I went up to her table and I had my like Daily Planet. Um, I had a little Daily Planet ID badge on my flight suit just so if people didn't know who I was, because it was kind of, you'd have to be really, you'd have to be in the know on Man of Steel to recognize. That was, that was a deep cut. <laughs> it was it was a very specific costume look. So I wore the Daily Planet badge to kind of help with that. <laughs> Even though Lois in the movie, it's not very authentic because Lois in that part of the movie doesn't have her ID on. Um, but... Allison saw it on me and she goes, Oh, Daily Planet. And she smiled and got really excited about it. And that was a that was a neat connection that I had with her because I was a Chloe Sullivan fan. She was my, you know, Allison was my favorite actress on the show. Um, and Chloe had spent a lot of time at the Daily Planet. That was a big part of her character. So I I had a good experience with her. I remember going to the panel she did and I asked her a question about that. Uh, bonkers show she made when she was a kid. It was the one. Um, what's her face from The Office? Um, uh, Jenna Fisher. No, Michael Scott's uh, longtime love interest. You know, in the dinner party episode. Oh, oh my God, Jen. Yes, <laughs> I can't remember. Out, uh, Mel <sighs> Melora Hardin. I think. Yes, it is. yes, she was. Allison Mack's mother in that show and it's bonkers and I can't remember right now what it's called but I remember watching it because I wanted to check it out because I was like oh Chloe and what's her face from the office are in this together I'll have to check this out well it's funny because wasn't she she was also in a show with like Chris Evans and uh she was also in a show with like Captain America and uh Milo I won't even begin to pronounce his last name from like Gilmore Girls and This Is Us like she uh, there was one show that she was in that was like all people who would like later go on to be very famous oh yeah that was um opposite sex I think yes that's right 
right. I, I watch that as well. And just so that I'm not like a coming off as a total creep, I do that a lot where like I enjoy an actor or an actress and I'll watch a lot of their filmography. I've watched a really good handful of Ginger Rogers movies, a uh, huge Ginger Rogers fan. Um, so I will do that occasionally. So I have seen quite a bit of Allison Mack's filmography. I remember she was on an episode of Wilfred or a couple episodes, actually, I think. Um, that was the last big thing that I saw her in. Um, so I I met her as well. She seemed perfectly normal on on you know at that point in time. Um, I remember hearing some rumors way back in the day about her being involved in this Nexium group, um, and I remember looking into it and thinking, yeah, that sounds like a cult. That's that's that <laughs> seems like you know you had to pay really exorbitant amounts of money for these classes and they uh, they almost worshipped this Keith Raniere guy it, that that seemed very cultish to me um, but you know I was like whatever you know maybe it's just she's looking for a self help group May, you know maybe this is gonna be good for her it's you know it's gonna help her in some way that she thinks is gonna help her. And I remember back in the day, KryptonSlide.com did uh, like a like an article slash interview with her and Kristen Kruk um, talking about uh, it was a survey that they were trying to get data from college <laughs> oh, no. age, uh, college aged women. Uh, and I, I was not in college at the time, so I didn't take the survey and so I I don't remember. I, I want to say I might have looked at it, though. I think I clicked on it to see what the questions were, see what they were trying to find out. Um, of course, you can't do that now when you because the Krypton site article is still there, but the survey is not there. Um, so you can't actually go back and check out the survey. <laughs> I, I guess they don't need the data anymore. Um, but <laughs> I remember even looking at that thinking, that's weird. That's that's a really weird thing for them to do. Um, so I I've long suspected, like I long suspected that she was in something that was not right. Yeah, I think I think a, what a lot of people thought it was like some weird new agey self helpy thing yeah. that was just strange. Like that's kind of what it seemed like on the outside. Like you would read some of Allison Max posts on her like blog or something, and they were a little bit hippy dippy and you'd be like oh okay i guess we are all earth's children or whatever (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay like yeah i mean i guess i do want to think about my creative expression or (laughs) what have you but good good on you (laughs) but it didn't seem like what we would later learn learn that nexium was which was uh basically like a it's almost like i like to like think of it as like a like a faux Scientology, like Scientology light. Yeah, it's it's a poor man's Scientology. Yeah, it's a poor man's. It's like Keith Raniere, like, read a Scientology book and was like, I could do that, but with sashes. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's how they set it up. Because it's very similar. You have to pay all this money to take these courses. But he did a smart thing, which is that, like, Scientology kind of started to be, like, we're a religion. And he was like, no, 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 no. We're, like, an executive 
training program. So like when you kind of like just on the surface, I think their their courses are called like executive success program or something like that. It just sounds like something that like you uh, you sign up for so that you don't have to go uh, a day in work. And you're like, no, it's it's professional development. <laughs> And next thing you know, you're in a cult. <laughs> yeah, that was the shocking thing for me. Like I knew I knew that she was involved in this weird thing. And you're right. Like I would agree that some of her blog posts, even her Instagram, like her Instagram had these sometimes really beautiful pictures and she was always posting these like motivational things. Uh, so, I mean, it seemed like she was fine. It seemed like she was normal. So I, I always thought, well, even if she's in a cult, I guess she's okay. I don't know. Because uh, you don't you don't know these people. Like, you only know certain people from what they put out on the internet. Um, and so when it came out that she was, like, second in command of a sex cult, I was like, what? I know. That's what it is? I was completely blindsided by that. Because um, uh, that was just not something that was even something I would have considered um, because I, I truly believe that what they were doing was evil. And, and not like, like just so crazy too. So what they, it was already, it was basically already a cult. Like you could kind of tell because um, I think post Smallville, suddenly Alice and Mac disappeared. Did, and I was yeah. always like, well, that's strange because it seems like everybody else is kind of having lives and careers and you just never heard about her again. And it was like, okay, that's strange. What it turned out happening is that like she basically packed it all in and moved up to Albany, New York, which is a strange place to headquarter your cult. I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, point to Scientology who has theirs in like, <laughs> like nice warm, sunny climates. Uh, <laughs> In Florida. Um, but so uh, she like moved in to, to Albany and like basically like gave up her career to do cult full time. It's insane. Yeah. And then I think I think she I can't remember if this was in the movie or if this was something I read. But like I think she gave like a lot of her money, if not all of her money to like Keith Raniere. Yeah, I think that is uh, something that they they would do like sometimes they would sign over deeds to their houses and things like that. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I think, and that's, that's a, a very notable thing about cults too, is that they will typically drain your financial means. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of red flags. Um, but, uh, I, and I guess, you know, I guess we can talk about this with the movie, but some, sometimes with, with people like, um, who are searching for something or who are down on their luck or something like that, they won't, they won't be able to see the red flags right away. And uh, that's, what, that's what's really sad about some of these situations is that they get sucked into these things and sometimes it gets out of control. And I mean, the, the cults are like specially designed to target people like that right. too. It's like, they're not, they're not going after the person who's like, whose life is going great and, 
and uh, is just looking to like you know become a better public speaker, they're not going to like uh, aggressively court that person. They're going to uh, court the person who's like a struggling actress who like just wants to make it and was like down on her luck. And like that's the person who they're going to be like, oh look at we have this successful person in, and you could be successful like us. You just have to become someone's sex slave. And like, <laughs> and I think the other thing is like cults they don't do it all at once, which we see in this movie. It's they they sort of roll out the true scope of the crazy like bit by bit so that by the point the time they're like we're all getting branded girls uh you are so far in yeah that you're like well i guess that's happening like they just they do something create like a little crazy to test the waters and then if you go along with that they'll do something a little bit more crazy until like the crazy gets normalized so they so they can then do things that are more and more crazy yeah and and they didn't talk about this in the movie but there are uh testimonies that this nexium group would decent decent what am i trying to say decent Desensitize, sensitize, desensitize these women by showing them um, uh, footage of I can't remember what it was, but it was something like horrible, like uh, decapitations or something like that. So I, I, I'll have to say, like uh, I got a lot of, and I think you listened to this as well. I got a lot of my information from the um, it's a really excellently produced uh, CBC podcast called. Maybe it was also called Escaping Nexium. I think it was. I think, and it, it, it uh, drew heavily on interviews with Sarah Edmondson, who is the the woman who went to the New York Times and was kind of like the whistleblower for the whole Nexium cult. But yeah, they they had a special episode on how they did these. Uh, I can't remember what they were called, like fear experiments or terror experiments, where they would like take women and put them in a room and show them like snuff films or like show them films of people being beheaded or other like really terrible things and just kind of like without any warning that that's what they were going to see. Yeah. And I I just I can't even imagine what that does to to your to your brain. Like, I, I just I don't even know. So, um. I guess we could go ahead and since since we've kind of been starting uh, to talk about the case anyway, uh, let's talk about how they adapted this story. So uh, in the Lifetime movie, what what scene or scenes really stuck out to you? What 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 um what what scenes do you re- like? What did you take with you? What what scenes from the movie did, kind of stuck with you? First off, I just went like from a higher level. I was surprised at both how like well researched the Lifetime movie seemed to be, especially since you know when I see these Lifetime ripped from the headlines, especially when it's like such a short lead time, I'm like, oh boy, what what is this gonna be? Uh, and and Lifetime movies can be of differing qualities. Some can be. <laughs> Some can be pretty good. Others can be pretty bad, but like in an amazing way. (laughs) And so you kind of never know what you're going to get. It's usually going to be quality, but what kind of quality is the question. (laughs) Uh, But I was surprised with this one. I thought it was like, it was pretty compelling. I was never bored. And like the, they had some pretty good actresses in it. I thought everybody did a pretty good job at it. And it was surprisingly like some of the things that they did in the, um, in the movie were like directly from things that I've read about the cult or like down to, so the scene that I'm thinking of when you said the takeaways is there's a scene where I think Allison Mack is giving a, one of those, um, the classes for the J- uh, Jeunesse, which is the, supposed to be this women's, uh, this women's group. And so she asks everybody to 
raise their hand as high as they can. And everybody's raising their hand and raising their hand really high. And then she's like, okay, put your hands down. Why didn't anybody stand up on the chair when I said to go as high as you can? And that's a, that's a, like a direct anecdote that Sarah Edmondson gives in that CBC podcast. So I was like, and I remember like when I heard that, I was like, oh man, like that's a, like, like I would have been impressed with that story too. Like that's pretty good. Like so you can see that like there are reasons why people would think that this group was like I don't know thoughtful or had something to offer before they start you know pulling out the branding. Yeah, um, they did a really good job with that actually, um, and and I would echo your sentiments of the fact that this was actually a really well made movie. I thought it was going to be super cheesy. Oh, me too. I was ready. I was ready for the cheese. But it was actually structurally very good. The acting was pretty solid. I was very invested in the story. So I I, I think it was worth the, the watch. But the thing with the raising of the hands I thought was really clever, and I don't I think this was an artistic license that they took. Um, but at the end, when Keith Ranieri is arrested, and, oh, what a coward. What a, oh, yeah. what a coward. He goes he, and like, he runs into the closet. And he leaves the women by themselves. Like, he goes up and fends for himself, and he goes in that closet. And when the, the, when the authorities take him out... He and to handcuff him, he's raising his hands in the air, is like really like over the top high. <laughs> and I thought that that was a nice, in terms of uh, filmmaking wise, that was a good callback to that earlier scene where she's doing that in the class, um, because it, it just showed that that was he he even had adopted that ideology that he had kind of created for this group. And he was doing, you know, he was invested in it and doing it as well. Um, so I, I thought that that was a, a, a good tie-in to the beginning of the movie. So uh, that I that one stuck out to me uh, a great deal. I just remembered another one, which was the uh, the the late night slash early morning volleyball tournaments. Yes, which were real events. Which were real. Which is, I mean, when listen, if you're in a group and they're like, it's three a.m., it's volleyball time. You're in a cult. I I need you to get out. I need you to, like d- DM me and be like, someone wants to play volleyball with me at three a.m. I'll be like, girl, I'm ordering you a lift. Get out. <laughs> but like, I just thought it was so funny. I thought it was especially funny because Peter Fascinelli uh, was uh, like in his full Keith Raniere, and he just looked like such a sloppy like. A, Compared to everybody else who's, like, a little bit more put together, in that volleyball scene, he just looks so sloppy with, like, a giant t-shirt and, like, a sweatband. And all the women are looking at him adoringly. And it's just so funny. Because if you see these pictures of Keith Raniere, he always looks like he just rolled out of bed and picked the first thing up off the floor. And so the idea of this guy being the head of a sex cult has always just, like, boggles the mind. It, it really shows that he had done something i don't know in terms of you know if people believe in brainwashing and and things like this he he clearly did something to manipulate these women because he is very unattractive not a looker not (laughs) a looker so uh that is something that does stick out as well and yeah those late night volleyball i mean you got to be really 
committed to volleyball. You, you really do. It's like it's three a.m. volleyball time. <laughs> so as we all know, the, the best time for volleyball is the witching hour. <laughs> it's so strange. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I think um, the thing that sticks out to me with that volleyball scene is that Catherine Oxenberg. So in the movie, Catherine Oxenberg and India really are the the two main leads of the story, and we we sort of follow them through the story. And 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 Allison Mack and Peter Fascinelli as Keith Raniere, they're kind of they're there and they're they're doing things and they're causing things to happen. But it's really about a mother and a daughter and. Um, I, I think that the scene, the volleyball scene where Catherine Oxenberg is there, it, it's just interesting to follow her as she, as she's portrayed in the movie. And, I, and I've seen some interviews with her, and I think this is pretty accurate. But she she sees and, and, and feels the red flags. Like, I think she knows something is weird about the group. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you can see it. Like, I-, I thought Andrea Routh, who was the actress who played her, did a really good job where I think it's one- maybe the- one of the first times they're going to, like, a Nexia meeting. And they're like, this is Keith Raniere, the smartest man in the world. And you see her face go, huh? And it's like, you see that in that in that volleyball scene, too, where she's like, huh like she's her eyes are like darting back and forth between this weird guy playing volleyball and all of like the adoring fans in the in the stands going like oh my god Keith you're just you're doing so great and she's like what am I what am I missing here (laughs) yeah she you you can tell it in that scene and then there's um there's a couple of moments early on when they're in the classes and she she uh she speaks up and she thinks for herself, and that's a big no-no in their group uh, because you're not supposed to criticize the material, which is also another red flag for cults. Um, so I think she she always kind of – it seemed like she always knew something, but she wanted to let India live her life and figure things out for herself. Uh, but when it came to, oh, you branded yourself in a sex cult, that's when a mom <laughs> really needs to step in. It's like, okay, now – now I'm drawing a line. I, I think I think the branding is just a little too much. Um, yeah, no, I thought I thought they did a pretty good job with with that. I thought they did a really good job of like kind of highlighting the weird like retrograde sexism of of Nexium, where they they're in this group, and I think it's like the sort of a group where they're all sharing things. And uh, or maybe it's when they get to the Jane uh, Janess where it's like that women's group and they're like, well, you know how women are like naturally unreliable. And you see the Catherine Oxenberg character just kind of going like, what? Wait, what? And I think she even says to like she and her and India go there for like a two week long intensive because she has this like breakthrough when she's in the other class and she's like okay I guess this is like something that would be good for both of us but then she gets there and it's just it gets too weird for her so she like when she's leaving she tells India she's like I think this group is like kind of misogynistic I I think we should leave and India's like no no I feel like I'm getting a lot out of it so her mom just goes like well I'm going though (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, and takes off. And India just for doesn't seem to see the same warning signs as her mom does that this group is super weird. Yeah, I think there's I think the scene you're, you're thinking about is that they say something about how men and women react differently when a spouse cheats on them or something like a man is loyal if he cheats on his wife, but then he goes back to her. Yeah, yeah, something weird like that, where where she's like, "Wait, but you, he he che- he cheated, right?" So <laughs> yeah, she's like, "But that doesn't make any sense." Um, yeah, so I think the the Catherine character, I really enjoyed following her, and the one of the scenes that really s- stuck out to me was when uh, she does have that breakthrough in one of the classes. Um, I, I, I would have had a red flag go up if I was sitting. And of course, you never know how you're going to really react when you're in these kinds of situations. But I would hope that I would have a red flag when I go to a class and they ask me survey questions like, what is the worst thing you've ever done? (laughs) What is your deepest, darkest secret? And then they make you sit in a chair in front of a whole group of people you don't know and then talk about your deepest, darkest secrets. Um, that, I think, is a red flag. Uh, but Catherine does that. She volunteers herself to sit down there and talk about the abuse that she has undergone. Um, and it's just, it's a really good scene. And I think the actress did a great job of uh, going through those mo- you know, emotions and how that was a bonding experience for her in India. Um, so I, that one really stuck out to me in terms of the the Catherine character. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that was a really good scene and kind of explained like why this woman who was already kind of suspicious of this group and was not really as on board would maybe change her mind and give them another shot and like do this two week intensive. Like I, uh, to me, it kind of it explained it like, oh, she, you know, honestly through no help of the group, they, they were just kind of pushing on like some trauma buttons of her. She had like this breakthrough and like attribute it to them. And then she goes to this, two week intensive and it's it gets it gets super strange from there um but yeah i'm trying to think of other things in the movie that where i was just like oh god i i thought that generally speaking the the girl who played allison mack did a pretty good job like did did she because i don't know that she i don't know that i recognized her as allison mack like if no if if i didn't know that was allison mack i don't think i would have thought she was Allison Mack. No, she didn't look that similar to Allison Mack. And I don't know that her affectations were quite similar enough to Allison Mack's. Like in the beginning of the movie, there was another, there was like another woman who was like, would have been too old to play Allison Mack, I think, honestly, but had like the short blonde hair. And I was like, that's not supposed to be Allison Mack, is it? <laughs> well, I will I will defend the actress though because these are the years in which Allison Mack was kind of she had kind of disappeared. That's true. So maybe I mean we don't know, maybe she acted like that in those in those years. We don't know. We don't know. She <laughs> I, there was some real weird stuff going down during that time period. So speaking of the Allison character, like what did you think? I mean, we we both know a lot about this case and and what transpired in terms of what Allison did and she did some pretty horrendous things, uh, un, unthinkable things. Um, yeah. How do you think that that came across in the movie? Like, what 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 did you 
What did you get out of that? Yeah, I I, I thought that the movie did a, a pretty decent job of handling her role within the this organization within this cult as like a, you know, she really was a, a recruiter. She was bringing in. She was using, they were using her, her fame and using that she was a successful actress and they were using that to bring in, uh, what sounds like a lot of like young girls who were maybe interested in acting, maybe interested in getting into the business modeling or, or doing something like that and being like, well, look at this other, this member who is so successful. Like if you join our group, you can be successful too. And then it seemed like Allison would befriend some of those like vulnerable women and then be like, Hey, I've got this secret cool organization of like really cool kick-ass ladies. And like, (laughs) before you knew it, you were uh, answering a text message from her at 3am in 30 seconds, or you were sleeping on the floor or something. Mm, It was mm. just, I mean, the, so, and then, and, and we should clear that up that that actually was a thing that would happen. Uh, This is not Morgan making this up. They were called readiness drills. Yeah, they were called readiness drills and they would have to, basically they'd have to, you see it in the movie where um, India comes home for her birthday and she's in the car with her mom and she's texting and her mom is like, could you like, could you get out of the car? We're like going to your party. And she's like, no, I'll be right there. I just have to finish this text message. And that was very clearly a readiness drill that she was, that she was taking part in. The Allison part of it. Um, I, I thought did a good job of showing that she seemed to, she seemed to care about India. And I think that there's probably a part of the, the real life people who did care for each. I mean, you can't, you can't be part of something like that and not have, kind of an affection for somebody because they were they were close they all lived together you know it was one of those things I almost feel like she was so indoctrinated into this cult that she didn't see the things that were going on as negative yes I think when she pitches this to India as like this is this cool female empowerment group even though it requires you to like give us collateral in the form of like naked pictures and like all this terrible saying terrible things about your family that would like destroy your family's life. Like, even though you have to do these terrible things, I think that she still thought of it as like a female empowerment group where like, we're all sisters and we're in this together. And like me, like sort of terrorizing you and uh, like breaking you down is like building is going to build you up into a better person. I think that she was fully drinking the Kool-Aid. I don't think that she thought of it as like, I'm exploiting these people. I think she thought of it in the terms that like whatever Keith Raniere had had told her about it. Yeah, and I think that comes through in the movie. I, I what I thought the actress did really well is that she she brought that that kind of uh, the the side of Allison Mack, I think who genuinely wanted to help women and then the other side of her that seemed really evil and that branding scene i mean there is a there is a moment in there that the actress who plays allison really dug into the she knows what she's doing 
and she's enjoying this. Like that's that's what I took from it, and I mm, it yeah. really it really kind of scared me a little bit the the way she played that. Um, and there were and there were a couple of moments like that when um, Keith Raniere, uh so like India and Keith and Allison are dancing together in somebody's house, and then uh, India walks off to go to the restroom, and Keith gives. Allison instructions on what India should do. She should pose, uh, you know, sexually, you know, nude for, you know, pictures for him or whatever, whatever it was. Um, And Allison seemed to be excited about that. And it just, it was really kind of scary because that kind of stuff, I don't know, people who do these kinds of things, there is a little bit, and I think the movie even, um, Right after that moment, uh, Keith Raniere walks down a hallway, and I don't know what the song is called, um, but it says something about, like, the lyrics or something about, you know, the devil inside you. And uh, call me crazy, but I believe in angels and demons, and I think that there is, or there was at least, at that moment, you know, demons in these people, like, you know, encouraging them to do these evil things. Um, And so I just, I thought that those moments really uh, highlighted the severity of what they were doing. This is not just a female empowerment group. It was like the exact opposite of a female empowerment group. These were women that were vulnerable women that were lured into this group sort of psychologically and physically broken down, which I thought that was a, it was a nice touch that they had. There's a scene where Allison is like talking to India and she's like, we're going to go on this really fun diet. It's 500 calories a day. And India's like, <laughs> isn't that too little? And she was like, well, uh, Keith doesn't like me when I get to, uh, when I'm not skinny enough. And she, and there's like a really, like, she gets like really serious and sad about it. And so like these women were literally being starved. I think there was like sleep deprivation that was going on. So they were being broken down. And that kind of stuff can mess with you mentally too. Like it can, it can make, it can make you not make good judgments, um, you, you don't make it deci- decisions. You can't do things well. Um, and I remember just on a real life note, I remember when Allison Mack got thinner, I remember seeing pictures of her going, wow, she, she's lost a lot of weight. And, and at one point it was like, oh, she looks good. And then at another point it was like, oh, she maybe has been losing too much weight. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, that was, that was a real life thing that was going on. And, and it is, uh, something to be said that they, even though it was supposed to be a female empowerment group, they were still under the control of a man, um, which is something that they couldn't see. And I think because a lot of the, um, indoctrination of the changing of what it meant because he was he was sort of retraining them to think his way about the relationships between men and women and uh so they they their brains were geared to think another way um so yeah i i think that that was um uh it it was it was sad to watch because um they were so concerned about 
how they came across to him and not necessarily about their own health. Yeah. And I mean, I think for a little background, in case anybody doesn't know the sex cult part of the story, just the cult part of the story, what ends up happening is that Keith Raniere uh, sets uh, sets in motion um, this secret women's organization. So they already had that Jeunesse, which was their women's organization, where they like were telling women that they're like, you know, unreliable and flighty and like <laughs> really weird we're like 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 1950s stereotypes about women it was very like retrograde sexist um but then within like a secret organization which was called dos which was like latin for something about like being master, master of and the, slave yeah yeah master of the slave women or something like that which you would think would be the first red flag that's um, another one yeah yeah. So in this setup, which is uh, what I love most about this setup. And when I say I love, I don't love cults. This is terrible. But like the whole cult is a pyramid scheme. Yes. Even this sex cult is a pyramid scheme. <laughs> and there is something so funny about that. Like, like amongst the terror, like even even the sex cult was a pyramid scheme because um so there would be a master at the top of the pyramid and then she would have slaves. And then as it went along, the slaves would have to recruit more slaves so that they could become masters. And then uh, I guess eventually you're selling LuLaRoe. But like, it, I, it's just the funniest thing that it's like, even within the cult, it, there, the, the, this DOS was a essentially a pyramid scheme. Well, and to take it and to take it one step further, Keith Raniere had already been famous previous to this because <laughs> he had created a pyramid scheme that became uh, controversial, and I think it was sort of fraudulent. Like people lost a lot of money in it. Uh, I forget what it was called. Ooh, what was it called? I, I think it was called, it was something called very generic. It was like something byline. Oh, or consumer like, byline. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Consumer byline. I mean, as in any, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be breaking anybody's hearts here, but like pyramid schemes don't generally work. That's the, that's the reason they're pyramid schemes. Uh, like nobody really ends up making money in them uh, just from the way that they function. So he basically had already run a pyramid scheme, gotten busted for it, uh, and had to like dissolve that company. Then he starts up this new company, which is essentially a pyramid scheme that's also a cult. And then, and then as he gets that going, he's like, what if I had a sex cult that was also a pyramid. The pyramid's really working for me. It's it's the shape that I know best. <laughs> the thing is, it's like, if you're going to get into a group like that, do a little research on the person. Like, he had portrayed himself to be the smartest man with the highest IQ, this cl classic, you know, concert pianist, um, this man who had met the Dalai Lama. Like, he... he, he Wait, which, I mean, I, I just want to parachute in and say... He had met the Dalai Lama, he and did. the story behind that is wild as well. They essentially, like, the group essentially, uh, like, harassed the Dalai Lama and, like, uh, just, like, aggressively went after the Dalai Lama to come and speak to them because they knew it would give the group, like, cachet. It would make them look legit that the Dalai Lama had come in and spoken to them, and then he did. So just to take that picture, they got him to come, to come basically. Yep. Yeah, uh, so they 
they had been under the impression that he was this, you know, super smart guy who had all these talents. He, he, I think he could speak in sentences by the time he was two, those kinds of things. <laughs> um, but they never took the time to really research. Cause I think if they had gone back and researched this guy and the consumer byline thing, I would hope that that would, uh, put those red flags up because what i thought was really and i this sounds bad but what's funny about the the stuff in the movie is that there's there's one scene where india has been in nexium for a little while and i guess her sisters those two other girls that are always with Catherine. yeah i think her her, her, maybe her half sisters um but there's there's two other girls uh who kind of go along with Catherine uh and um india's grandmother in the movie and they're watching clips of Keith Raniere on YouTube. And one of them turns to the other one and uh, uh, says something like, do you think India will ever come back? And the, uh, the other one, the older one's like, I think she's in a cult. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was one of my favorite scenes. Especially funny because they had cl- they were clearly aping those weird videos that they have on that, that used to be on YouTube where it was like a series of people interviewing with Keith Raniere and it was and there's obviously the like the the more famous one of like Keith Raniere and Allison Mack where it's just they're they're it's very bizarre. strange. They're bizarre video. I think they used to have videos with other like other actors and actresses that like used to be in that Vancouver area. I think I don't want to speak out of turn. I feel like there was maybe one with uh, Grace Park from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, I feel like uh, at some point a lot of those uh, Vancouver. The people in Vancouver in like the early 2000s on those shows cycled in and out of Nexium. I think a lot of them like went in was like were like whoa, and then like saw saw their way to the door, and then some of them like uh, like Allison Mack got in way deep. Yeah, I just thought that moment with that that young girl. She must have been a teenager, I guess. Just it it spoke to the fact that like she could see so clearly what it was. And it was so, so much harder for India because she had gotten uh, sucked into it. Uh, so I, I thought that that was, um, that was very telling <laughs> just because the, that, I mean, they were like, yeah, it's a cult. We know it's a cult. We can tell it's a cult. Um, so that, and there is another scene that I, I guess kind of ties into that, the fact that other people can see it and India couldn't was at her birthday party. Um, what did you think about, um, India, like pitching people to join Nexium while she's talking about her birthday wish? I had the, the most secondhand embarrassment from that scene. (laughs) That scene, that scene to me was like, it just felt because it felt so real. Like, I feel like (laughs) the desperation that she had to, because again, the whole organization is a pyramid scheme. Yeah, she so had she to had recruit to, people. She had to recruit people. She had to bring people in to the cult. That's like what she was supposed to be doing. So she used this opportunity of her birthday. Like she like blew out the candles and was like, what I really wish for is for you all to be as happy as I am at the executive success program. Uh, two weeks for free and you can come to V Week. And it was just like the weirdest, like there's no way to kill a party faster than to like than a sales pitch after you blow out your birthday candles like it was just so weird and i think everyone there like knew it was a cult her friends her her boyfriend i guess that that guy was uh in the scene it just they i think they all knew it and so that was it 
of course they were not going to join the group. I I mean, you're not going to join a group where somebody is like giving you a hard sell at their birthday. Like something's gone wrong if you can't even just like sit back and enjoy your own birthday party. Like that's that's not probably a group you want to join where it's like, I just I just feel so passionately about this that I want you to stop eating cake for just a minute and let me tell you about Nexium. Oh, it was it was tough. Brutal. To, it was tough to watch. Yeah. So so once they established this DOS group, it's basically the master, which in the, in the movie is at like we're really only taken in this one pod, but there are apparently like several of these groups um, where there was a master and then several slaves that report it to her and would have to do these crazy things like you know the readiness drills that we mentioned and uh, giving them collateral constantly, which was like taking nude pictures and saying terrible things about their family. Um, and then they, they pitched it like, we're all going to get this cool mark. Um, it, it's not going to be like a tattoo. A tattoo is too normal. normal. We're going to brand ourselves with this cool mark to show like what strong, powerful women we are. And um, they didn't just brand them like like in a I, – I mean there's no normal way to brand yourself. Let's get this straight. But like doing it with a, slowly with a cauterizing pen mm, seems mm. like the worst way to do it. You're going to – if you want to brand yourself – and again, you shouldn't and you don't. Uh, you're probably going to want to do that quickly all at once. And and they also did it in the most sensitive – one of the most sensitive areas in the body and um, in a very uh, uh, private area of the body as well oh yeah it's like right up like right above the like the uh, right by the hip bone sort of in the pelvic region so that skin is gonna hurt yeah i it just it's it's just very scary to watch and i thought that whole branding scene in the movie was like so disturbing it was really intense and i think that's what i liked about this lifetime movie so much uh was that it actually had me invested in the story because like I was on the edge of my seat, even though I knew all of the things that were going to happen. I knew, I knew so much about the case going into the movie, but I was still like, Oh my gosh, what is happening? Um, and to, to hear the testimonies of what it actually was like when they, when they did that, um, I thought they did a good job of making that really, uh, stand out as horrifying. Um, because that's, that's what it would have been like. Um, it just so, so scary and so, um, so painful. So I, I thought they did a good job with that. Um, I'm trying to think if there were some other scenes, uh, that stuck out. I will say I was surprised because some of these Lifetime movies take, take the, um, their topics seriously. And some of them are like very kitschy and like, oh my God, we know we're making like a, a questionable quality movie and it's, we're here for the drama. Um, and I was a little apprehensive going in that this was going to be one of those where it was going to be like, oh my God, it's so dramatic. It's a cult. And I thought that the, I, I think maybe probably because um, Catherine Oxenberg and maybe, and maybe India as well were involved in some capacity in this, that they took the subject matter seriously, but not like, in an overly like too dramatic cheesy way so that it was just like it was serious and it was so scary at times but it wasn't like it didn't feel like you were watching a very like over the top lifetime movie yeah i think it gave it the seriousness it deserved 
Um, it had a, a had a few lighthearted moments in there because I think you you needed that as an audience member to to get through some of the scenes um, that they that they showed. Because I mean, even some of the scenes where Keith Raniere is uh, kind of seducing some of the women, you know, taking them aside by themselves, and it's just it's so creepy. And so sometimes I, I did need a little something to take me out of that. Um, but yeah, I think the movie, uh, did a really good job of adapting the story. And I think probably because Catherine Oxenberg did have a hand in it, I think it, you know, it really gave it a, an air of authenticity and, um, made it so that it did stay true, I think, to the story for the most part. I think the only thing that, you know, some people might call it out for is the fact that it, it makes it seem like it's a quick turnaround, but in reality, this stuff was going on for years, um, uh, even though in the movie it makes it seem like it's not that long of a time period. Yeah, and I think you get some idea when you see that, like, uh, Catherine is calling the FBI and they kind of blow her off and they're like, well, we can't do anything for you. Um, but, like, if you read these articles, the, you know, so many people had tried to alert authorities that this group was there was a like a real problem with this group going back years and years and and years and they just kind of kept getting blown off until the whole branding thing uh blew up uh on the front cover of the new york times and then it became like unignorable and i feel like some of that would definitely has to do with the fact that um and I, the movie doesn't touch on this very heavily but uh, Keith Raniere was funded by uh, Seagram's money. Um, they he had both of the um, the the Harrises of the Seagram's fortune were in the cult, so they could you know if anybody started writing articles critical of them, they would just bury them under lawsuits and like just basically using all their like use their money to like keep the organization afloat, but also to keep um, critics at bay and to keep law enforcement i believe a bay too which is another tactic used by scientology um so yep. <laughs> that's uh that's something that, that i was probably barred because they saw how that was operated um so yeah i i think um i think overall i think this movie does a really good job of telling the story of this case i mean there's obviously a lot more coming i mean uh there's sentencing that's supposed to be happening uh in early 2020 which i'm sure morgan uh you'll hear from me when that happens we'll talk about it <laughs> uh but uh there's still more to tell but i think for the most part uh, getting to see the story of Catherine and india because i had looked at it a lot from the allison point of view and trying to understand what happened with her like because you do go i mean if you go to her social media pages and um, her website and her blog and she used, she even used to do those like uh, vlogs the the video blogs on her YouTube channel oh yeah and they and they show her doing one of those too in the movie yeah she used to do I, w I would watch them and you know see what she had to say and so uh, I, I, I had followed the story from the Allison Mack perspective just to figure out how that happened how how did a how did an actress who had so much promise she was such a good actress and she had been acting since she was a kid and uh, I I thought she was gonna go places after Smallville oh me too and this happened 
And it's just, it's mind-boggling. Uh, so I had seen it from that side of the story, but to, to get to meet Catherine and her daughter, India, um, was was a new, fresh take on this case for me. And I'm, I'm really glad, and I guess the positive aspect of all of this is that they were able to repair their relationship. India got out of the cult um, and and didn't end up being charged with anything as far as I understand. Um, uh, so Catherine genuinely did have to rescue her daughter. Um, and the, the good news is that she did. And that seems to be um, a good relationship now. So um, that, that it's, it's terrible that it had to go to that length for them to, to, you know, to come back to each other. But I'm glad that eventually something good did come out of it. And I I was having this thought while I watched the movie, and then I went to watch uh, a Megyn Kelly interview that she did with Catherine Oxenberg, and then Megyn Kelly said it, and I was like, oh, God, now I'm going to have to, like, credit Megyn Kelly on the podcast for having this thought, <laughs> even though I had the thought, too. Um, but, you know, we talked about how, you know, Jeunesse was supposed to be this women's empowerment group, and the irony of everything is that they were empowered but it was because of all the tragic horrible things that were going on they had to pick themselves up they had to find the strength in themselves to uh you know speak out to step out and say hey something wrong is happening we need to do something about it and so the women who actually do come out of Nexium and who make that decision to leave and to tell the truth and to get um, justice for what has happened, those are the women, I think, who really were empowered and who did uh, show a lot of bravery and courage. And those are women like Catherine Oxenberg, like India Oxenberg, like Sarah Edmondson, um, even the Bonnie character who's in the movie, who is the one who calls up and i think she's i don't know if she really is called bonnie um in real life i don't know if that's really her name or if they just kind of gave her a, a another name you know to protect the innocent um but there really was a woman who was still within nexium who called Catherine oxenberg to say hey um they're branding women now you might want to come down and get india out of this um I think that character, you know, whoever that woman was, I think she was a brave lady. Um, so what I take out of this is that those women, the the positive message I came out of this with is that it takes a lot of guts to tell the truth. It takes a lot of guts to be brave and to uh, to get out there and, and do what's right. And, and maybe we can tie that into Supergirl. Yeah. Because that's what's that's what Supergirl does is that she um she does what's right. She wants to do the right thing to help people. And uh that's what these women did in this this Nexium story is that they in the real life story and in the adapted lifetime movie is that they um they actually helped other women. Catherine Oxenberg is now, you know, uh, Sarah Edmondson. They've written these books to uh, make sure that women don't get sucked into this stuff anymore. So um, so that, I think, is a good positive thing that came out of it. Yeah, I think my positive takeaway would be that, uh, which I think the takeaways that you have are great. I think um, 
mine would be that like one one voice really can make a difference. I know like sometimes we feel like it can't, but if you know if Sarah Edmondson hadn't gone to the New York Times and if Catherine Oxenberg had it like started to go to the media and be like, my daughter is stuck in this call and I can't get her out. Like, I don't know that I think that maybe they'd still be up in Albany doing all kinds of weird cult stuff. I don't like I think it was, you know, when one person sort of tells their truth, it can open the floodgates for other people uh, to feel comfortable to to as well. And I think that that was very it's a very brave and, and vulnerable thing to do, but it can really empower other people. Um, not just yourself. And those actions came at a price. They came with consequences. Sarah Edmondson had been inside Nexium for a really long time. She had been, uh, I, I don't know what her title was, but she was like a a trainer or a... Oh, yeah. Like it was, it was her, not just her life and her social circle. It was like her livelihood. Yeah. So she had been in Nexium a long time. She was kind of a higher, she wasn't like Allison Mack high level, but she was, she was up there. And then, um, uh, Catherine Oxenberg, she put her relationship with her daughter on the line. She had, she, she put her daughter's safety over, oh, well, my daughter's going to hate me. So I, I probably shouldn't rock the boat, but she she chose to rock the boat because she knew that rocking the boat was the best thing for India to get her out of it. Um, so those actions really did come with consequences, but they were willing to accept them in order to get the truth out, in order to help other women. Um, so I, I found that their stories in all of this are very inspirational to me, um, and I just... I just hate that they had to go through this stuff in order to get to that place. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're out there, um, you know, telling telling their stories because I think that's really important. So I guess uh, that's going to – I guess we'll end on that note. We'll end on uh, as up a note as we can given the story. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a really tragic and uh, creepy and evil uh, what what has gone on with this story. But uh, thankfully, the people who uh, did have uh, personal responsibility with what went on are in prison or are on house arrest or have uh, faced um, some uh, justice, uh, for what they've done. So I think that is, that is a good thing that the, the people who, you know, Keith Ranieri is in prison. Alice Mack, I think is on house arrest. She has an ankle monitor. Um, they're going to be facing sentencing, which Alice Mack could, if, you know, if it's determined, she could face life imprisonment. I mean, it could, it could get to that point. And I think if they want to change their lives and become better people while they're in prison, you know, great. Uh, I believe in forgiveness, uh, but you have to choose that for yourself and you have to choose to be a better person. So uh, I'm hoping that, you know, they, the, those demons leave their bodies. Like, I, I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, I hope that they are able to change their lives and turn their lives around, but they need to face uh, the consequences for what they've done. And so I think that, that that is a good thing to remember that the the people who have done these horrible things uh, have been arrested and have been uh, caught and have been facing justice for their crimes. So that's a good thing. Um, 
So uh, I guess it's going to do it for our discussion on <laughs> escaping the Nexium cult, a mother's fight to save her daughter. Uh, this was an experimental special episode of Supergirl Radio. Uh, we've done some special episodes, but nothing quite like this that hasn't uh, been completely tied to the show. Uh, but it did seem like some people wanted to listen to it and would be okay if we did this. Um, we'll probably won't do all Lifetime movie reviews. Uh, this, <laughs> this is just a special one because we kind of just wanted to talk about it. Probably, this is probably a one-off. I think we just wanted, we wanted an excuse to have a special episode of uh, Rebecca and Morgan's cult talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time. Uh, with Rebecca and Morgan. <laughs> maybe we'll have to you know, do a spinoff podcast. Andy, if you're listening, uh, if, if you want to start that up. DC TV cults. <laughs> I don't know if we can put it under the DC TV podcast umbrella, um, but uh, but we are both uh, uh, not cult experts, but I think we do have. Um, we both have a weird fascination with cults. Yeah. I, I think anytime anything pops off with Nexium or Scientology, I know who to text. Yes, it's just it's kind of like what this is happening. How does this happen? It's just so fascinating. It's it's very sad. I will say that it's very sad that people get caught up in this and very understandable but oh man some of the stuff that goes on in these things you're just like whoa red flag city and i i am genuinely inspired by the people who do come out of it because i think that's where the 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 positive uplifting aspects of it are so uh that's that's the stuff to look for in any story um so i guess uh that's going to do it for uh this special episode on uh cult Call talk. Uh, but if you would like to contact Supergirl Radio to talk about Supergirl stuff, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, and uh, Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the TV show. We're also on Radio Public and Podcast chaser and we're on dc's fan page which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc fans we are available on apple Podcasts and stitcher radio so if you have some time uh, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review let us know what you thought about cult talk uh and we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll uh take that feedback uh you can find links uh to all the things i just mentioned on supergirl radio.com on the right side of the page and now we throw it over to ashley for the dc tv plugs <laughs> If Supergirl Radio fills your heart with glee, then follow the network for DCTV. Don't fail this city, you've got to hear Quiver, where Amanda and Mike will always deliver. Then run along and check out The Flash, Andy and friends make quite the splash. Don't forget the legends like they all forgot Rip. These ladies would never jax you to the time ship. Then join Clement and Nate in the incredible Brit, for Black Lightning's podcast where we all get lit. We come to iZombie, which is very alive, except maybe after the end of Season 5. Our newest addition to our CW crew is the Batwoman podcast ready for you. We jump over to Sci-Fi, a whole different channel, to check out Krypton way before our bro Kal-El. Then there's DC Universe, so we can all stream. The awesome show Titans, we're only summer teens. And if you love the oldies, may I recommend classic DC TV. Honestly, 10 out of 10. That's it, I hope. Please, Andy, good night. But I would make an exception for Young Justice, all right? <laughs>
Check out DC TV Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to talk more about the Nexium uh, story, you can follow me <laughs> on Twitter at DerbyKid and Instagram at the Derby Kid. Uh, I'm also a contributor to JLU Podcast, which you can find over at JLU, uh, JLUniverse.podomatic.com. I'm also a voice actor or actress, if you would like, uh, to, uh, on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. Uh, you can also find me doing a voice on The Fakest on the, I believe, the latest episode or um, part one of the finale. Um, and our very own Rebecca Johnson interviews me. So that's that's interesting. That's pretty fun. It is fun. Especially since we record it in like uh, like individually. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you even know that like Leanne was introducing this stuff or did you just have your lines? I can't remember if I had just had my lines or if I had the Leanne lines. I think it might have just been my lines. Yeah. So that was really fun. Um, I'm also a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. And uh, I mean, if you're into uh, creepy things, you're really in luck, uh, both with this episode and with what's going on on the Legends podcast. Since we have such a long break, we've been diving into um, doing some research. I know you're shocked. Please sit down uh, <laughs> uh, on some historical baddies. We're going to have our um, his, his part two of our historical bad guy episode uh, dropping this week, I believe, or um, you know, early next week. And then uh, towards the end of the month, we're going to be recording an episode about serial killers uh that might show up on next season of legends of tomorrow so it'll be the perfect halloween listening like spooky that will be very educational i'm sure I mean, talking and talking about cults we're gonna be we're gonna be doing one of the the ogs we're gonna be talking about manson so Ooh. i mean if, if cult talk with rebecca morgan <laughs> has interested you you're gonna want to check out at least that episode of legends of tomorrow i will be curious morgan uh if there are uh similarities uh if you find like trends or patterns that happen within these groups uh because that's that's what i you know uh try to look for is you know what's the commonality between a lot of these groups they do seem to have a lot of sim like that like when you read about them you start to see some of the similarities like right away where you're like oh uh oh like <laughs> like they they do sort of they're all very different, but they do sort of employ, it seems like, a lot of them similar similar methods to their madness. Yeah, so uh, the Legends of Tomorrow uh, podcast will be very educational and uh, will probably help you be able to spot the signs like that, <laughs> uh, like that uh, teenager in the Nexium Lifetime movie who's like, yeah, I think she's in a cult. Be like her. Be like her. So uh, get knowledgeable and educated on it. Well, I think that's going to do it for this special episode on a Lifetime Movie About Cults. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. I'm still Morgan Glennon. And we hope you didn't mind this change of pace in Supergirl Radio programming. Yeah.